Hello everyone and uh, welcome. This is the Wine Hour. It's great to be back for one hour of entertainment, discussion and discovery in the world of wine. I can see that there's uh, quite a lot of uh, regulars and a few new uh, people. Uh, so we've prepared a wonderful show for you today. And uh, here's the menu. Uh, so there are three segments for those who don't really know about uh, the show itself. Uh, we start with Uncork, which is about uh, discussing the news, trends and uh, topics in the wine world. Then it's on to License to Taste, uh, where you will learn about uh, wine in a non-geeky way and where you can ask your wine questions and any kind of wine questions. And uh, last but not least, uh, we will be uh, having a conversation with our special guest and have a drink with me. Uh, so before we start, uh, I'm going to introduce you to the cast of uh, today's show. Coming from the Chateau de Fargue in the Sauternay next to Bordeaux, uh, we have the pleasure to uh, welcome our special guest, Philippe de Lursalus. Good evening. <laughs> Good evening, Philippe. You're How on are mute. You? <laughs> How are you? What are, what are you drinking tonight? I am drinking. Um, some uh, Chateau Carbonieu uh, White 2017. Okay, and now, so you've been waiting for them for the past two weeks. I know I've been receiving tons of emails asking for autographs of the whole team, and this is the one and only the Wine Dream Team. From London, we have the president of the Botrytis Forum, and yes, it does exist. There is a Botrytis Forum, Mr. Akos Fortsek. <laughs> good evening, Akosh. Good evening, good evening. What are you drinking? I am I am a faithful human being, so I'm drinking Chateau de Fargue 1994. Ooh. Philippe's father. And it's very nice. Okay, excellent. From Paris, our living wine encyclopedia, the one and only Tanisha Townsend. <laughs> Good evening, Tanisha. Good evening. How are you? I am good. Thank you for asking. What are you drinking tonight? See, I, I actually remembered what I was drinking tonight. I'm drinking um, a Napa Cab. It's Obsidian Ridge. Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah. And Thank you very much. From the sunny California, from Napa Valley, our very own social and injustice fighter, Miss Jamie Orajo. Good afternoon, Jamie. Good afternoon, everyone. What are you drinking tonight? It's it is tonight, well, this, this afternoon, or water, anything. We're fine with everything. <laughs> it is only 12.30 here, so I am sticking with water for today. Okay. I'm keep that sort so, of just as sharp. Sounds good. Now, is everyone ready? So grab a glass of wine, uh, anything, drinkable spirits, tea, water, shy, dirty shy, like Laura Catena. Uh, and here's to toast to all of you. Cheers. Cheers. And um, here we go. <music> so 
So Uncorked is all about commenting, debating, and discussing trends and news that are important uh, or important topics that are related to, to wine. Um, the reason I created a, uh, the Wine Hour is to have a show uh, for people to enjoy that enjoy wine and that are not necessarily experts. And I am not an expert, but I love wine. And sometimes when experts talk about wine, uh, it's kind of putting me off a little bit. Uh, and I think that I'm I'm far from, from being alone. And very people feel uh, like outsiders or intimidated, or even sometimes they reject wine because the language of wine is, is not one that they do understand. Uh, so the question to, uh, to you, Jamie and, and Akosh, is why is it the case? Why does the language need to be so complicated? And how can we make wine more approachable and uh, more inclusive? We're going to run a quick poll uh, there's two very short questions. The first one, you can answer as many questions as you want, as uh, how do you find the language of wine to be? And the second one is, would you be willing to learn more about the language of wine? I'll launch this and we'll look at the answers at the end. Um, who would like to start? Well, I'll be honest with you that I am not <laughs> studied wine. I don't You're... make wine. Amy makes wine. I don't yeah. study I went to wine school, right? So I have no terminology knowledge other than, you know, I watch people when they describe wine uh, with, you know, all these, you know, very uh, complicated words that, you know, most of them, I don't even know what they mean. And I've been in the wine business for over 20 years. And at the end of the day, I think we should be inclusive and let people say what they want about the wine because that's their way of describing it. So, you know, a lot of times I say to people, you know, the words that you use for wine description is completely your own and don't think of the one way or the other is right or wrong. It's it's you. I can't. I, I was doing Bordeaux on Premier Tasting today and I didn't make very complicated notes. You know, for me, the wine is great. It's good. It's smooth. It's silky. This, that, the other. But it's your it's your definition that matters. I don't know, Jamie. I mean, you you, you sell your wine. So you when you you know, when you make the wine, you describe them somehow, I guess. Well, I think it's a super interesting question because, um, I mean, I come at it from my background, not only as um, someone who is a, a winemaker and vintner, but also um, an old history major. And, uh, you know, wine was actually the drink forever, along with, you know, mead and whatever, fermented beverages, because water was dangerous, right? Water could kill you. And so you actually drank things that were fermented because they were more sterile and more um, safe for your body. And then all of a sudden we ended up with cleaner water. And I mean, this is something that really is in the last few hundred years and wine became this, you know, it separated from its status as a, as a staple and went into um, this phase of, of being a, a more of a luxury good. Yes, there was always, you know, 1855, we've had classifications for a long time, um, of, of higher and lower class wines. But I think that really as wine grew or a certain category of wine grew into this more luxury product status symbol, it also naturally gravitated toward the people with status in Western Europe who were generally white, male and over 50. Well, over 40 probably at the time, but um, as life expectancies grew, um, so did middle age. Um, and, and so I, I think it's very interesting because then all of a sudden you, you do create this whole world that is very exclusive, 
Um, and then the, the, the ways of discussing and talking and, and, and describing wine grew up within that world. So there's, a, there's like a classist issue, but there's also a cultural thing, right? How do we talk about wine? All these descriptors that we use that are Western European white descriptors of, of fruits and flowers and things that are present in Western Europe. When you go to Asia or Africa or even the United States, um, or North America generally, I think, you know, you get all kinds of different references. Like nobody in the United States who has not spent time in the UK knows what a gooseberry is. Like we just don't have gooseberries here. And so I, I think it's a very interesting, I, I'd be interested actually to see what you think as well, Antoine, because I know you were just at the Wine Writer Symposium um, that just happened this week in Napa. And I know that that one of the things I think you guys were talking about was, um, language and cultural um, norms and, and cultural exactly. differences. Actually, I was we... good segue. I was going to talk about that. <laughs> the one of the thing in the wine world that they have that they have realized is that um, they were talking about inclusivity. They were talking about finding ways of 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 talking to people about wine, and they were saying basically. Uh, there's enough wine critics, you know, wine tasting and things like that. There's a lot of them. Uh, they do exist. Uh, some people read it uh, and they find it interesting and helpful. Uh, but there's another side of, of wine that is um, uh, so much more important. And people would love to have more of that. Wine is a, is a conversation starter. And at the beginning, actually, wine is such a social um, drink that you have to do business, like Akosh could say uh, from his past day. And uh, it, it's something that basically gets people together. And, and when they don't talk about the wine, it's, 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 a, it's a medium to talk about something else. And wine and food as well are great ways to talk about um, the environment, about social, about culture, about people's story, about struggles, about all these different things that actually make us human. Because probably, you know, I'm biased, but uh, wine is one of the most humane drink that we can have because of that, of that social aspect of it. And so this is one of the things that, we're, that they were talking about. And it was, it was fascinating to see that um, there's a lot of people who also use wine, uh, especially in the U.S., uh, where the African-Americans have a lot of uh, difficulties of getting their voices out. And now there are special uh, media that are using this. And they, they, they are basically using wine as well as, as that medium for, for conversation. Uh, so it, it is fascinating to see that um, people probably are more interested in the stories than just you know, the, the point systems and saying this one is a 93 out of 100 and this one is a 94, which is kind of ethereal. You know, what is the difference between a 93 and a 94? In, but when people start to, to hear about the stories, then it starts to, they, they, they get a better sense of it and they get a better engagement also with, with the winemakers and, and the wine in particular. Akos. Okay, I am, my view on this is the following. I don't think that uh, people need to be afraid about talking about wine when they are together. And you can ask Philip, Philip and I, we spent many, many nights drinking together. We look at each other, we look at the wine. It's a great wine. 
but we're not gonna go in there's like oh do you smell the leather in there and do you see this little little touch of hint of mint that is coming and the bitterness at the end we don't talk about it that way right i mean 99 of the cases in the field now philip you don't even know these words anyway and uh but <laughs> That you know, the, the the that people need to know that their own simple vocabulary is actually sufficient to describe the wines. There's not you know because wine has become now a category which is like watches, cars, uh, paintings. You know, it has become a, like a collector's items. And in the last twenty years, it has uh, it's it's a status symbol. And you know, who has the more expensive wine and the bigger seller and the bigger collection? But it's not, it's not about that. At the end of the day, I think wine is a, is a social product that you need to share with your friends. You need to drink it. You need to have fun with it. And yes, you mentioned how it is. Yesterday, I was telling you earlier, I had my first lunch in 18 months, which turned into dinner. So yeah, it was a seven and a half hours lunch, you know, and yes, you know, we drank five bottles of wine between the two of us. Nicely, gently, no problem. It was great wines. We loved it. We commented about the wines, but we didn't. Drink and in moderation. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Please drink responsibly. Yes, we drink exactly. responsibly. I, know, I agree with you, but at the same time, I think that that's a very that's us coming from our very privileged position as people who are part of this and feel comfortable in that space. I think you know one of the first things I hear from so many people when I'm doing wine tastings is, oh, I don't know anything about wine. Oh no, no, no. I'm I totally I'm super stupid. Yeah. I don't know anything. Um, and and there's this feeling for a lot of people that that they need to put disclaimers because they're afraid of people judging them in that space. Um, and I think it's up to us because we are in that space to, to show people that it is a judgment-free zone. What I always say to people when they come up to me and say that, I say, okay, do you know what you like? Do you know if you like something or not? Like if you drink it, can you say, yeah. I like this or not? And they usually say yes. And I say, you know everything you need to know. All the other stuff is just adding on if you feel that that's something you're curious about and you want to go further. But quite honestly, the most important thing you need to know about wine is, do you like it or do you not? Because wine uh, should be something yeah. that's possible. Definitely. Philip, uh, as, as you are on the cover, as, as you, if you were to describe your wine for someone that is not an expert, what would you say? I would first say that uh, wine tasting is all about uh, emotions. And we get emotions from tasting the wine. Uh, uh, the, the, the taste we get brings us to childhood memories, etc., etc. And the issue is trying to share these emotions, which are deeply personal, with other people. I understand what you mean, Akosh. Uh, the problem is when people try to impose their emotions on others. The difficulty of the, um, of the wine language is trying to get a common language uh, to describe something that is very difficult to, to touch. That is something that we need professionally, especially when we uh, work uh, the wine. We need to find a common language and to find uh, scientific ways to describe these emotions. Uh, that being said, so to, 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 to answer your, your question more, more specifically, uh, to describe uh, uh, Farg, um, um, I would uh, I would talk about first the the balance, which is not a very clever thing because balance is not uh, it's not a key selling point. Uh, I would talk about the baskets of fruits uh, that we that that you that you can find and and which type of fruit and which type of flowers 
uh, you can find. And something that is very uh, interesting with wines made with botrytis, the state of the fruit that is in the basket. We rarely have fresh fruits. We have candied fruits. We have fruit paste, uh, etc. So I would try to describe the wine uh, with these uh, these elements, trying not to be too specific because then uh, I would fear concentrating on my personal emotions rather than than trying to to share every everyone's. Okay. So how if can you... we? <laughs> Sorry. Go ahead, Akash. If, if you're in a dinner party, and you make a stupidest statement. I've done that before. You make the stupidest statement about wine. Doesn't matter what it is. It, you, you can smell whatever you describe it. You have this wine. People, and that's what Jamie is right. And that's why we say people get destabilized by this stuff, right? And they just don't know. You can destabilize the biggest connoisseurs as well by making a strong statement about something about wine, that this is what you feel in it. Because at the end of the day, you know, what you feel in a wine, as Philip says, it's an emotional thing. It depends on in what mood you are in, you know, uh, what did you have for breakfast? When did you brush your teeth? Whatever there is. And there are multiple winemakers and you too can come because you make wine. You know that there are days when you don't like your own wines. Yeah, one right? of the things, well, one, one of the things, just sorry, 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 Jamie, just one of the thing on this uh, about saying something, something stupid about the wine. One of the things they were talking in the symposium was basically WSET and all these uh, accreditation and schools for where you're gonna learn about wine and wine tasting and things like that. Uh, the vocabulary they're using is very Western. And the, the, the reference they have is very Western. And there was a lot of people in the symposium that are from the Caribbean, that are from Asia, et cetera. And the taste that they would find in certain wines are absolutely, or the, the smells or the aromas, whatever they are, are so different from the names that, that they would be on the, on the W set uh, tasting notes, basically what, what kind of, 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 uh, of taste you should find. So there's a cultural issue and that there was certain something that was imposed by the West uh, and, and, and other people potentially would feel, but I don't see that, I see something different. And, and I think that there's also an issue there. People should know that whatever they feel whatever they smell or whatever they taste is fine. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's fine. That's exactly, that, that was exactly. And, and what I was just gonna add to that is the fact that um, you really have to trust yourself. I think it's really about trusting yourself and, and know that even for people like us who taste all kinds of wines, there are thousands and thousand dollar wines, super, some of the best wines in the entire world that I can, I have learned to appreciate because I've, I've been trained, but they don't give me pleasure. They're not wines that I personally like to drink. And that's just my taste. And everyone's taste is different. It's like a fingerprint. Yeah. So no one, no one wine is going to please every person on earth. And so if you don't like something, that's not a problem. That just means it's you don't not like your taste. End of story, yeah. And people, that's where it becomes very interesting is when uh, people don't see the, uh, the, the labels and they are served the wine blind just to say, do you like this wine? You don't know where it's coming from. You don't know what it is. And that's when you will find that the outcome can be really revealing because it turns out that it's not necessarily the $500 bottle of wine that is going to be the one that everybody will like the most because it's very nice and intellectual, whatever, it's actually not that enjoyable because after one glass and a half, you just don't want anymore. So, you know, it's, it's really very subjective 
And I think that the audience should walk away with one thing. You are always right. It's not the person who's telling you what you're supposed to drink. You are the one who is going to decide what you like. And there's nothing wrong with you not liking the bottle of Chateau Petrus at 2,000 pounds a bottle. Nothing wrong with it. You know? And the wine you like today, you might not like tomorrow. It might not but, be the right wine for that moment. And that's fine too. So, so evolve- how, can we, how can we change the mindset of the industry to start with? Because at the end of the day... Well, uh, I mean, I think Antoine, like you said, the, the things like the W set, we need to be more culturally aware and more inclusive in the way that we're teaching wine and putting information out there. But it's also up to us as individual distributors, wine, winery owners, et cetera, um, critics and things like that to, to, make, to open the door, to, to put more seats at the table and to, to figure out where the sticking points are and, and make the changes that need to be made in order for, for more people to be able to enjoy wine. Because quite honestly, it's in our own self-interest too, right? Because we're actually drinkers. opening up <laughs> The, the world of wine to a larger audience. So, um, you know, if you don't want to do it for selfless reasons, I'm, I'm happy for you to do it for selfish reasons, just do it. Okay. I mean, we, as in from a, from a business perspective, over the past 20 years, as an importer and distributor, many people have left the classical English, you know, snobbish wine, wine distributors because they made them feel inadequate. They made them feel that they were, you know, because first of all, they're not going to spend, you know, 3,000 pounds on a case of wine. Therefore, you know, they are nobodies, number one. Number two, you know, they are, you know, they don't know enough about wine. They don't even know what they want. So when I speak to someone who comes to us, I say to him, think of me like your tailor. Right. I want to know what colors you like. I want to know what smells you like, what food you like, what is it that you enjoy the most in life. And on that basis, then you can guide them down the line. But it's not about you telling them, oh, you have to drink this wine because this is great. And by the way, I have 20 cases extra and I need to get rid of it kind of thing. You know what I mean? (laughs) And this is what happens. And that's what happens. Right. And let's be honest with each other. And But you need people will come. They will, they will listen to you, but at some point, you know, they will just politely never come back again if you don't treat them well. And so, and, and that's correct. And that's how it's supposed to be. Yeah, let's look at the result of the poll. I'm gonna share it. So the first question was, do you find the language of wine to be uh, essential? So, so people do, on, do understand or recognize that it's very important for them, at least in our audience, uh, clear and helpful, intimidating, and then you have opaque and little, uh, not many people find it unnecessary. And the interesting thing is that would you be willing to learn more about the language of wine? The vast majorities, uh, the majority says yes. So I think that the, uh, there's, always, there's always a place and time, I think, for very elaborate and technical discussion. And there's a bigger place and time probably to, 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 to be more inclusive the way we talk about wine. I think this is potentially the outcome of, uh, or the, the summary of, of, of the conversation. Well, and actually it benefits us all because of the whatever, 10,000, 20,000, I can't remember, components in wine that exist, we've only been able to really identify a few hundred. And so if we can actually extend our experience into spices, flowers, tastes, and smells that we don't know in the West, but that exist in other places, it may be that we can actually make our wine knowledge and language more sophisticated and, and precise. Yeah. 
Um, so before we conclude the segment, um, your th thumbs up and thumbs down for the week, Akosh. Thumbs up was my lunch yesterday. <laughs> Hands down, felt alive, you know, like, like the little man who was let out of the cage. You know? and, um, and thumbs down, really, I don't have any thumbs down. Okay. Other than, you know, everything is, seems to be all right. So for once, I'm not going to say anything negative. Let's stay positive. Smile. Okay. <laughs> Jamie? Well, sorry, I'm actually, uh, thumbs down for me is more of a global thing. Um, very concerning what's going on in um, Israel and Palestine. Um, and obviously with our darling Antoine being nearer to that part of the world, it always makes me a little nervous for all my friends over there. So um, yeah, hoping we can get that sorted out very, very soon. Hopefully. Um, and my thumbs up, I guess Akosh and I are both um, stomach led this week. Uh, I got to have a delightful lunch with our very own Ray Isle, um, which was really wonderful. And so we got to share some wines and have some lunch. Um, and I had an offer on a house here in Napa accepted this week. So I'm going to be moving to St. Helena, if all goes well, in about three weeks. Oh, congratulations. Wow. Uh, I'm, I'm just going to have a quick thumbs up because there's so many negative things in the world. So I, I'd, I'd rather look at the positive side. Uh, fantastic wine writer symposium that was organized by Meadowood Napa Valley. Um, there's so many people that are really, really trying to, 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 to get the game up on, on wine writing, to get it out there, to make it more inclusive, more interesting. There's so many interesting voices, uh, fantastic thing. If you have a, the chance to, to look up who the attendees were and the, the speakers, a fantastic bunch. Um, thank you very much, Akosh and Jamie, and we'll see you in uh, two weeks. And now on to License to Taste with uh, Tanisha Townsend. Hello, Tanisha. Hello. How are you? Re-hello, re-bonjour. Re-bonjour, re-bonsoir. <laughs> <laughs> so in your, in your segment, as usual, you're going to be answering the questions from the audience. But before taking the questions, Tanisha, you want to tell us uh, and tell out the audience about food and wine pairing? Yes. Um, uh, in an effort to be more inclusive <laughs> and um, kind of talk about different things as far as wine is concerned, I wanted to talk about a particular food and wine pairing because we're going to be talking about Sauterne in a minute. So pairing food with Sauterne. Uh, a lot of people, when they talk food and wine pairings, it's all these fancy dishes and not things that you really eat often or they stay really safe with it. But I wanted to talk about it from a standpoint. <laughs> He's <of> interested. <laughs> right. As soon as you said Sauterne, he was right. like. He was like, wait, what? <laughs> So it's like a light bulb went off. But with it being a dessert wine, it doesn't necessarily just have to go with dessert, with it being a sweeter wine. I think people, uh, some people have put it in a box and just relegated it to, oh, this is for dessert, but that doesn't have to be the case. With the wine being a sweeter wine, sweet and salty is a great pairing. Akash mentioned this, um, that Sauterne pairs very well with oysters. The brininess of an oyster, um, going with the sweet sauterne, if we're talking West Coast oysters or the Atlantic Coast oysters, those go very well with a younger style sauterne. Think about it um, like kettle corn. If people are familiar with kettle corn, how that sweet and that salty go together. 
um, or with melon and prosciutto, that, um, that savory, that salty, that uh, character, that going together. It's the same with um, uh, a sauterne and oysters. Next, sweet and savory. This is something that I actually saw somebody else mention and it made me think, hmm, that could actually work. So sauterne and people pair it with chicken and that is not before, but chicken and dumplings. Poultry actually goes pretty well with sweet wines and there's actually a famous dish in that region with roast chicken. But if you take it and do it with the dumplings, with the roast carrots, the sweet potato, um, the cream, the broth that you use in chicken and dumplings, it is an amazing flavor with that creamy gravy style and that consistency that goes really, really well with the sweet flavor of Sauterne. So those are two pairings that people probably have not thought of as it relates to that one. And then there was something Philippe told me uh, before when we were preparing for the show uh, that one of the worst things that they've done about Sauterne in the way to market it was to say it's a dessert wine. And the thing about, you know, if you drink, if you have something that is very sweet and you put something even sweeter or sweet on top of it, then you have sugar over sugar, basically, which is not the way to do that. And so with dessert, could you drink some kind of sauterne or some kind of sweet wines? What kind? Because there are different types as well. There are. And if you were doing sauterne with dessert, I wouldn't pair it necessarily with a sugar heavy dessert, but maybe more of a fruity. So like a sweet fruit dessert. So like something with fresh strawberries or fresh raspberries, I would go that route. And so I would go sweet fruit, not sugar sweet, not like cotton candy sweet, but ripe strawberry sweet. Okay, fair enough. Then there's the, what are the big no-no's about food and wine pairing or things that you should never, ever do? I actually don't ever say never ever do something <laughs> because what I don't like someone else might love. So that's them. I find it hard with, you know, the pairings that everybody say are hard, asparagus, artichoke. I find those hard to pair with wine. But what I do is if I don't particularly like the taste of a wine with the food, I just stop eating or drinking one thing. And then I finish up whatever that is, like say I don't like the parent, I'll just keep eating the food, stop drinking the wine, then finish the food and then go back to the wine. Okay. Now, if you have any questions concerning food and wine pairing specifically because you're preparing a dinner for a significant other or your family and you want to know what, what's good to be, uh, to, to, to be had with, with a certain kind of food you're going to be prepared, uh, just raise your hand and ask the questions. Um, also, while we were preparing the, the, for the show, Akash was saying, with cheese, no red wine, only white wine. He and did I, say that. He, yeah. said, he did say that. And I was, I was wondering, what do you think about that? What do you think about this? This, you know, Should it only be with, uh, with white wine? And then it really made me think, have I had red wine and cheese before? I probably have in my life, but don't remember it enough to think, like to really fight for red wine and cheese. But um, I always enjoy when white wine is paired with cheese, when those are paired together. And I think about when I do have the, the cheese plate after my meal, but before the dessert, it is always a white wine. So I can, I can get with that. I can agree with that and say, okay. do the white wine. If you so, have white wine, that's all you have. Okay, fine. Okay. Water. But... <laughs> <laughs> 
with chocolate? With dark chocolate, yes, red wine is uh, a great idea. Milk chocolate, that gets a little tough, but um, I like it with the darker chocolate. That okay. Works. I, I think Rita has a question. <laughs> okay. She, with eggs for breakfast, scrambled oh, eggs. Sparkling wine. Sparkling wine. Champagne. Yes. Oh, Nicole says Grenache with chocolate. <laughs> of course, Grenache. Oh, I definitely will do a Grenache and chocolate. I and, mean, I keep Grenache around. Just okay. In my life, so. so, so champagne and and uh, okay, I, I'm not going to reveal, but for our next guest in two weeks, it's going to be about champagne from oh. Champagne. Okay, I'm not going to say what it is, but anyway, and and <laughs> we're talking, which is yeah, champagne is something you can. And she was saying fresh accent and was. Champagne is you can drink it from nine o'clock in the morning till nine o'clock in the evening. Okay. And champagne, you can drink it. I'll put that to the test this weekend. Let's see. <laughs> yes. So yeah, Nicole Rollet from Chen Bleu says Grenache with chocolate, and and Chen Bleu Grenache is out of this world. Um, so Rita, thank you for your question. Any yes. any other question in terms of specific pairing? Uh, Cabernet with sharp cheddar. Okay, a recommendation for Mexican And notice or how she Tex-Mex. said our Cabernet. I'm yeah, not yeah. Jamie. Our yeah. Cabernet goes well. That, yes, re- yes. Another question from Donna Datum. Uh, a recommendation for Mexican or Tex-Mex food? Beer. No, I'm kidding. Well, I mean, yes, beer does work too. But um, as far as white wine, I'm thinking if you're doing like tacos, mm, yeah, they're spicy. See, Akash always knows. So I'll turn German Riesling. Yeah, I was going to say Chenin Blanc. Like those. Okay. Ones. And Jamie says potentially Zinfandel. Zinfandel. Mm-hmm. Okay. Fair enough. Now I want Mexican food. <laughs> and you know I can't get any. I guess we're going to move on to your recommended reading for the week. Yes. Since we talked food and wine <laughs> pairings, I thought about food and this book, Cooking with Booze. <laughs> and there are quite a few recipes in here where you cook with various types of um, wines, fortified wines. Coco Van is in here. And then you have Mousse à la Mar- um, You have cider recipes and chicken and apple and whiskey sauce, whiskey marinated salmon. So think of all different kinds of booze and how to throw that into your meal. Nice. Okay. So cooking with booze, there's a couple of, now they're on fire in the chat. Uh, Jeremy says strawberry and balsamic vinegar. I, I'm sure he means the 25 year old or those kind of balsamic vinegar that are just pure uh, gold treasure. Um, your um, so thumbs up and thumbs down. Oh shoot, I didn't come up. <laughs> Think about these. <laughs> No. Thumbs up. These food pairings I just gave you. Uh, thumbs up. Today was a holiday here in France. And so like we're kind of done for the week. Okay. And then also, on the 19th, like, you should be over. you should be free and out. Yes. And the 19th, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed it's not raining, even though I'm pretty sure I wouldn't care. I ordered a rain hat off of Amazon. So I'm going out. Rain, sleet, snow or hail. I will be sitting on a terrasse okay. on the 19th. Nice. Thank you very much, Tanisha. Till the next time. And now, last but not least, have a drink with me with our special guest, uh, Philippe Delure. Salus.
always at the beginning of the, uh, uh, before the, uh, the interview, uh, there's a small introduction. And uh, this time I, I wanted to put a bit of uh, background music just to kind of soften it up. Um, I hope it's okay with you and uh, forgive me. Oh, Philippe de Lursalus, or should I say Count de Lursalus, the name back in the day. Such a long history. You are the 16th generation of a family that ingrained a long tradition. The Chateau de Fargue entered in the family in 1572, the place that you now wear like a tattoo. Then in 1785, Françoise Joséphine de Sauvage Diquem brought with her through wedding a hidden gem. She decided to create a wine cellar, a visionary she was, inspiring many storytellers. Through the years, the love of wine grew. The family created a special homebrew based on their region, Sauterne was the name, and through the years, bring them fame. Through the centuries, they protected the earth so that the next generation would continue from birth. Then came Philip, the latest son. At the start, oh Philip, you decided to go away. All you wanted was to find your own way, and off you went to London. At first, you wanted to work in luxury, which meant material, craftsmen, and history. But you soon realized that you had it all in the chateau you lived within its wall. Still, you went further to the east, but wine was ever present like your best mate. So you represented Fag like a priest and realized that you can't escape your fate. So to the Chateau de Fag you went back. And the lessons of life you did learn, you can't walk away from your zodiac because it shows what you endure. Philippe de Larcelus, it's a fantastic pleasure to welcome you to the Wine Hour. <laughs> Thank you very much. Well done. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not the best poet, but anyway, it was just, <laughs> I thought it was befitting the situation. <laughs> thank you. Th thank you for accepting the invitation. Um, no, it's a one of the things that I was, that I was, that we were talking about, I was thinking about is, is in a family business, family businesses usually are complicated. And especially when you have 16 generation. Uh, so succession planning is an issue. Uh, what do you do? How do you, how do the family navigate through 16 generation, keep the tradition, make it work? Uh, at the beginning, you had Chateau d'Iquem, which was sold in 2000 to LVMH, and now you're focusing on, on Chateau de Fargue. How do you do, how do you manage those processes? How do you work with the family with such long tradition? Well, uh, I see, I see, I hear two questions in your, in your question. The first one is um, how heavy is the heritage? And then uh, how do you cope with it today? Um, so how heavy is the heritage? Uh, it, it depends on how you see it. You can see it as something you absolutely have to do um, and, and you have no choice, therefore no freedom. Or you can... Um, look at what uh, your, your predecessors uh, have done, your ancestors have done. And, and in my family, when I uh, uh, had a look, I realized that uh, some, a lot of my ancestors were uh, in, the, in the army because that was uh, the, the regular uh, job of the, of the aristocracy in France. Uh, some were very into, into, 
invested in the industry, uh, others in the... So basically, I have many ancestors, as all of us, and our ancestors did what they were good at. And what the, 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 the job we have today, uh, the estates I, I have to manage with my, with my father, um, has been crafted by our ancestors. So that gives us the freedom to craft it however we want. Uh, good news or bad news, it depends on how you look at it. Uh, we have an education that helps us to go towards the same direction as our ancestors. So it's more a matter of taste of, uh, than, than a matter of, of uh, burden. Uh, does it add does it add an extra pressure that that you are the 16th generation of such a long lineage and an esteemed family and it, it is was it one of the reasons for instance why you you tried to do something different at the beginning no the reason i wanted to 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 work in an, in another industry was i did not want to go uh, where it was obviously easy for me uh, I, I wanted to, uh, to, to find my own success or my own path, uh, at least. Um, and then I came back to, to, to wine business when I realized that I, I really enjoyed uh, this business more than the others. So, so that was my path. And uh, this is why you came back afterwards. Now, you, you came back because there's a love of wine. Uh, there's a love of, you know, the thing we, I, I mentioned about luxury, it, it, was, it was basically, you told me that you had a conversation with a friend and, and you were telling that, you know, I want to work in luxury because of, of all these things. And you, all, you had it all, basically. And wine was it, basically. You know, the craftsman, the quality, uh, it's, it's all there. Um, yes, yes, exactly. I, I, I thought um, I had this uh, this uh, conversation with a uh, with a friend who um, uh, who said, "What are you doing in the luxury industry?" And I said, "Well, I, I like uh, I like the luxury industry because it's the the because I like the quality of the products." So my friend told me, "Well, then." go and work for the yogurt industry because no one ever died from a yogurt. And this is a perfect uh, quality uh, 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 standard, uh, standardized product. So I said, okay, so I'm not interested in, in quality. I'm interested in something else. And, and, and he uh, forced me to say that I was interested in the history uh, of the product, of the, 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 the craftsmanship uh, and the... Uh, human side uh, of the people making the product. I, I wouldn't be that happy to work for a luxury car uh, uh, manufacturer because uh, even though I, I thoroughly enjoy cars, but uh, it's, it's not man-made. Okay, the, so the history. Um... He came far the Sauternay, so the, the, the region uh, south of Bordeaux, uh, where uh, the wine Sauterne is made uh, from botrytis. Uh, so 
couple of things just just to 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 lay down uh, the knowledge for the people uh and actually i'm just going to roll a, a, run a, a very a, a very quick poll on that um about uh botrytis to know if, if people were aware of it before or not so can you explain uh very simply what so <laughs> yes you can <laughs> You, you can, of course, yes. Uh, so yes. what is botrytis um, and why is, is basically uh, Sauternes, okay, this type of wine made in Sauternes specifically, not some, somewhere else? Oh, be careful, Akash will um, <laughs> tell you that uh, it's made in botrytis is used in uh, other regions. <laughs> um, and he might be right on that. Uh, so botrytis, um, so it's, what and why? Yes. So you, so yes. two questions yes. again. Um, so what? Botrytis is a small fungus. Um, it's a small fungus that lives in almost every vineyard and uh, which everyone fights uh, in almost every vineyard. This small fungus, uh, basically its purpose in life is to feed from the berry. So it um, goes on the skin of the berry and it waits for the berry to reach a certain stage of uh, maturity where the skin is only one or two cells thick. When the skin is that thin, um, the botrytis manages to get its roots to uh, penetrate the, the berry uh, through the pores of the, of the skin. So it is not breaking the skin, uh, but the, 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 the roots go in the berry the water follows the roots by capillarity and evaporates through the fungus. So you have less water uh, and juice that is uh, uh, thicker. So basically, it's like it's like building wells into the into the skin of the uh, of of the grape and letting the water out, so it dries. Um, yes, yes, uh, through through the roots. Okay. The water follows the roots and evaporates. Um, and then the botrytis feeds from the berry. Uh, so it is consuming uh, a lot of things, including sugar, but it's okay. The, 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 the juice is so concentrated that it can, it can eat sugar. It's okay, we, we, we have plenty. Uh, but this uh, botrytis feeding from the berry means that it will transform uh, naturally the chemical components in the in the berry, so the tastes go from uh, fresh apple to baked apple uh, uh, to um, uh, tart tatin uh, uh, to candied fruits, etc. Uh, so there is a transformation of the taste. The botrytis also thickens the juice, uh, so it gives a different texture to the to the juice, and it adds uh, some, um, uh, 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 pep uh, not pepper, uh, um, uh, spiciness, uh, some spices uh, flavors. Uh, and also there are some uh, taste enhancers brought by the botrytis. So the same taste is made more powerful by the, by the botrytis. So it's a, it's a deep transformation of the berry. Uh, and you see a berry that is perfect, then brown, and then it shivers 
and becomes almost a dry berry. And our job is to uh, try and get the berry before it's completely dried up. Uh, so there's still a bit of juice uh, of that. So that there's a bit of juice still left in, in, in the berry. Hopefully. Yes. And, and, and why is Sauternes so, so special? Um, so the first, the first reason is uh, the uh, specific climate condition, which uh, we, we very often in Sauternes, uh, we have uh, fog in the morning, so high humidity. And then in the afternoon, uh, we have uh, sun or dry wind that dries the, 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 the berries. So we have the luxury to let this, uh, this fungus uh, run through the vineyard. Uh, and we have the luxury to keep these berries bunches that are attacked by a fungus, but they oddly remain sane um, in, uh, in Sauternes. So it's, it's a huge risk, but it, it's a risk that is more affordable in Sauternes than in other uh, regions. There are, however, other regions using botrytis, uh, and, and I have to tell them because otherwise Akash would kill me. Uh, <laughs> uh, Hungary, of course, with, uh, with Tokai. Okay. Um, uh, in, in Germany, there are some absolutely amazing Rieslings um, in uh, Austria uh, and in, uh, in Alsace. Okay, there's one question uh, relating to botrytis from Nicole Rollet. Um, how is botrytis being affected by global warming? Because if temperature um, goes up, maybe the fog in the morning, you won't see it <laughs> very much. And uh, no, does it have any, uh, any issue? Do you have any issues with that? For the moment, very honestly, not really. We don't see, uh, we don't see an effect on the, uh, an important effect on the botrytis itself. We see, as the other uh, wine, grower, wine growers, uh, an effect on, the, on the, 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 the health of the vineyard itself. Um, but the botrytis, we, we, we still have this alternance between uh, heat and humidity. Sometimes uh, bigger heat and uh, to be bluntly honest, global warming, global warming sorry, uh, uh, might be one of the reasons why uh, and it's dreadful to say that why we've had so many good vintages in the in the recent years, yes. um, but I have to say at what cost globally? Yeah. Because there's one there, there was one thing also that that struck me is that when when you don't have the right conditions, you don't produce the wine. So it's either you have good quality or you don't do anything. Yeah. Yes. It's a. It's a. Well. So. First of all, in Sauternes in general, it's always a bet. Uh, and, and, and we know in Sauternes that the, the, the quantity will greatly depend uh, on, on, on the, what nature brings us. And in FARG, we have a, a policy to uh, try and produce uh, the best Sauternes possible with our given terroir, uh, of course. So that means that we have to make huge sacrifices when we harvest uh, because when we harvest 
it is not a, a regular harvest where someone says the berries are ripe, let's go, let's harvest everything. It's more complicated than that because we do what we call in France des vendanges par tri successives, which means by uh, successive uh, waves in the vineyard. So the harvesters will go in the vineyard, select on a, on, on a given bunch. They will take the few berries that are rightly attacked and they will leave the rest of the berries um, for the botrytis to attack them a bit more. And they will come back in uh, a, a week, two weeks, a month, uh, we don't know. And they will select the part that they want, leave the rest and come back again. Okay. So basically, we harvest uh, in, on average, in uh, between four to five waves uh, in Farg every year. Okay. Um, the the polls, uh, eighty more than eighty percent uh, of the audience uh, is aware of what botrytis is and and what it does. So we have we have we have connoisseurs uh, listening. Um, so your your sixteenth generation, uh, you have the tradition and you have the 21st century. And the way things were done before is not exactly the same, the way that things are done today, whether it's commercially, in communication, uh, potentially the palate of people, the way tastes have evolved, etc. cetera. Um, how do you face those, those challenges? And, and so these are, this is the first question. And, and the second one is what do you see as the biggest challenge uh that you have in front of you how do we face these uh these challenges i'm not sure these are new challenges every generation has its own challenges uh so so we we have always had to adapt and and and, and the, the the generations to come will have to adapt as well we always have to 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 try and get informed try and and, and be on our on our um, on our toes i think you say in english uh, to, to to be ready, ready to see the yeah. Yes, to see the new trends uh, and, and try and adapt. Um, uh, my, uh, my father, who's uh, 87, uh, is very well aware of, of uh, social networks uh, and, and, uh, and, and has, uh, has an eye on, uh, on what we put on, uh, on Instagram, uh, etc. So, so, so we have to... Uh, um, by nature, we have to we have to follow the the trends. Uh, the second part of your question say, was what what do you see as your biggest challenge for for oh. for the next 10, 15 years? Because I something we discussed as well. You always have a long view. You have a view yes. 10, 15 years, twenty years ahead, basically. What what scares me the most is um, the changes in um, in the distribution uh, and the fact that globally the middleman tends to to disappear uh, that scares me because when the middleman disappears the small player uh, disappears as well and the big brands uh, tend to, uh, to 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 take it all um, that scares me because the small wineries like Farg, at the end of the day, we have, uh, today we are working with 18 hectares. We produce uh, 15, between 15 to 20,000 bottles per year. This is very small. 
uh, will there always be room for a small boutique winery uh, to try and focus on, um, on quality, uh, try to focus on the production without spending too much energy on the, 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 the distribution of the wine, although the distribution is, is extremely important. But um, up until today, the distribution has always been made by, uh, by the middleman, so, so, which, is, which enables us to, 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 to make the wine. So that's, yeah, to me, the biggest challenge. One question about technology. Uh, has, has technology uh, been something that you use a lot or are you still doing the same traditional way uh, that Chateau de Fargue has been doing? Uh, its first vintage was 1943, if I'm not mistaken. Since then, same way? No, no. There, there, no, there, 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 are, um, there are some new, um, new things um, pretty much everywhere. Um, I mean, the, 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 so first, in the vineyard, I, I, I think that the biggest innova innovation or the biggest progress in the wine industry globally is the progress in the weather forecast. Uh, uh, this is an amazing new help, and weather forecast is a, a very young science. This is an amazing new uh, help uh, to, to, to help us reduce the amount of uh, treatment we put in the in the vineyard because we know that it's gonna rain in uh, two days so let's not spread uh, anything today uh, or we know that rain is coming so that we can do so that's uh, to me very important in Sauterne it's even more important because uh, we can be we can take amazing risks that, uh, that, 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 that couldn't be taken 20 years ago. Um, I mean, how, who would have dared uh, to, 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 to say, let us not harvest today because yes, rain is coming tomorrow, but this rain will only last two days. And after that, we have a window of sun which will dry the berries and we will gain a little bit of, uh, of quality in the, in the juice and the, and the vintage will be better. This, this is something that, 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 that would have been uh, completely mad uh, uh, 20 years ago. So, so that's the biggest. Uh, now, other improvements uh, might be the press machines that are more precise than they were before. Um, and and uh, and things like that. The the basics are the same. I'm however, uh, we are working with the same the same type of vines, and we we cannot, thank God, we cannot uh, uh, manage the botrytis, and we cannot replace the botrytis, which is something extremely important in all mindset in Farg. Uh, it is to, to we, we are sure that we cannot replace the botrytis. This transformation is what is important. Yeah, working with nature. A question from uh, Nicole Rollet. Oh, Akko, she's coming, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm worried about this one. So the question from Nicole is, uh, Philip, do you have any favorite vintage? So I, I, have, uh, I have to say, as every 
winery owner that uh, every vintage is my child and I love every one of them, um, <laughs> etc. And once I have said that, I will say yes, of course, 88. 88. <laughs> I just like to ask you to explain, explain to the audience the fact that uh, you are virtually the only company in Sauterne that decided to not to make white wine because now most of the dry white wine, I mean, most of the Sauterne producers for cash flow reasons, uh, whatever, they decided that uh, actually they're going to uh, put a significant percentage of their production and convert it into dry wine, which is much easier to make than making botrytis wine, which is the most noble wine in the world. So why did you make that decision? Obviously it wasn't you, but it doesn't matter, but uh, your father did it. But um, how, so explain the reason behind it, please. It's, um, yes, uh, right before, before I forget, uh, I know I saw in the, in the chat that James was uh, drinking a 97, which is not a bad choice, James. So you are right to be drinking that. No, why do we, um, the, 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 this question, uh, should we make a dry white? We, we ask ourselves the same question every, every two or three years. Um, we always have to go back to the same questions uh, because reality changes. Our, our decision for the moment, but which has been stable for the last uh, 70 years, is that um, we would feel we don't know how to produce a dry white and a uh, Sauternes and, and Chateau de Fargue at the same time. Our problem is that in Fargue, we know how to work without any kind of safety net, which means the purpose of every berry must be to go into a bottle of Fargue. If the berry will not, uh, will not give Fargue, then let's take it away and, and let's help the vine to concentrate on the one that will give Fargue. If the berry might be Fargue, but is not yet, let's leave it on the vine and we will come back to it, to it later. Uh, and, and, and if it's still not ready, we'll come back to it later, et cetera, et cetera, until the moment where it's too late. So, with these parameters, we don't know how we could produce a dry white uh, with, in the same vineyard. Another possibility would be to um, uh, have a different uh, vineyard uh, that is specifically uh, uh, tended for, for, for dry white. But then, what kind of vineyard uh, am I going to take? Because every parcel of good terroir is, is, is worked for fag. So am I going to take the lesser uh, terroirs and am I going to, to tell the wine, uh, the wine lover, so I am producing the best sauterne I can and I am taking every uh, decision I can to, 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 to make this amazing 
the sweet wine. And by the way, I have leverage white, but it's okay. But you know, it helps the uh, the, the the accountant. Um, we 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 don't know how to how to how to do it. But this commitment. Is, that's that's beautiful the, commitment. Is, <laughs> but this is because of the choices we made and the way we work. And this is because of our choice to work with no safety net whatsoever. Yeah, this is, this is, uh, this is uh, laudable. Um, last question from the audience. Angela Reedy is asking, what are your three favorite things to eat with Sauterne? I will use this question uh, to make three different answers, if I may. <laughs> and I'll make it quick. Okay. I'll make it quick. Okay, good. Okay. <laughs> uh, depends. It depends on the age of the of the of, of the wine. When it's young, between zero to ten years old, <laughs> then uh, a first course, a crab, uh, either a crab salad or oysters. When it's between ten to twenty-five years old, uh, my personal favorite is veal sweetbread. Uh, um, Yes, uh, and then when it's very old, uh, 25 years onwards, uh, when it tastes of uh, um, uh, uh, orange peel, caramelized orange peel, um, I think of duck à l'orange. So give me the duck and I'll take care of the orange. <laughs> so uh, a duck cooked the, 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 uh, the salty way, not the sweet and salty way. Okay, okay. Um, we're getting close. Um, to the end, unfortunately. But before we end, uh, there's always the pivot questionnaire. Are you ready? Hope I am. Okay. What's your favorite word? Uncorked. What is your least favorite word? Corked. <laughs> What's your favorite virtue? Obstinacy. What's uh, your favorite quality in a man? Honesty. Your favorite quality in a woman? Sense of humor. Uh, what wine would you use to describe yourself anyway? Port, because it's the only decent thing produced in 77. <laughs> what is your favorite curse word, any language? <laughs> um, my favorite curse word is puteborne. Uh, Okay, I, I never heard that one. <laughs> I'll let you translate it. Um, it's it's basically uh, the blind prostitute, basically. One-eyed. One-eyed, yeah, prostitute, yes. Um, what sound or noise do you love? Um, I love you, especially when my wife says it, and especially when, it's, when she says it to me. <laughs> What sound or noise do you hate? Uh, honey, we have to talk, especially when my <laughs> wife says it and especially when she says it to me. Okay. What plant or animal would you like to be reincarnated in? Um, I'd love to be the, uh, the, the, the Semillon vine um, in, uh, in Fargue, which borders the alley between the, um, near the fortress. So that, I, so that I can see the, the workers and the visitors going in and out. Okay, nice. And the last question, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Welcome home, my son. 
let's go pick a bottle tonight. We celebrate. <laughs> Philippe de Lursalis, thank you so much. Merci beaucoup. So this uh, concludes uh, the wine hour for today. Thank you very much for all of you for attending uh, and listening. Next show is on May 27th. Uh, until then, drink in moderation, be well and be safe. Take always. Goodbye, everyone. Bye. <laughs>